I'm Chris Riley, editor of Sweet Code and founder of Fixate. I just so happen to like food and software, so I'm going to connect with developers and engineers at their favorite places to eat and chat about what it's like to build modern applications. This is Developers Eating the World. All right, this is episode 13 of Developers Eating the World. I'm here in the Denver Tech Center, which I'm going to beat you up on that in a second because you might be one of the only tech, tech companies in the Denver Tech Center from what I remember of it. <laughs> this is how you get uh, growth capital from a private equity firm. Yeah, okay. uh, you, That's you where all the bankers are. You, you have to actually do real work uh, and focus on enterprise solutions and help customers. <laughs> oh, you actually have to do something. <laughs> uh, so I'm here, sitting here with JC, uh, CEO of ePlexity, and I would say chief engineer also, right? This is not just a guy who... First of all, he looks like he's 12, <laughs> but you actually do. You I, love tech. I, I love tech. Um, I'm very passionate about it. I started my career um, as a hobbyist, like most of us um, in the tech industry. I uh, started building computers and, and building websites. My first website, uh, my first company was Wasabi Networks. Um, and I really had no theme or no concept, but I loved the, the, the color green and I thought Wasabi was a pretty cool name, and I was ultimately gonna help people with their networking issues. Um, it was a way for me to uh, you know, have my mom pay for an extra phone line so I could play uh, games online. Um, but yeah, no, started my career just building uh, and hobbying computers. On GeoCities? Was those Ge the GeoCities uh, days? This was the GeoCity days. Uh, it was. Um, my, uh, back then it was Diablo 1 and trying to figure oh. out IPv4 networking and, and uh, 14 kilobot uh, uh, so, modems. So are you a gamer now or too busy? You know, I, it's, um, it, it's fun when you can, right? Um, you know, we have this concept uh, where I work where uh, we like to perform LAN parties to get customers actually engaged, bring their kid, kiddos out that are doing games, but also learn the science behind it, right? The networking, um, how the cloud works, um, how games actually interact uh, with cloud. So, so, so yes uh, to gaming, um, but try to make it part of um, it's, a, it's a little different these, uh, these days. My girls, I have two, um, they, like to, they like to game, so. How old are they? So I have a nine-year-old, soon to be right. 10, um, and then a seven-year-old, soon to be eight. Two girls. Yeah, I have two girls also. Five and four. Five and four. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I saw the you guys had uh, what Pac-Man in your lobby. Pac-Man, um, Asteroids, uh, soon to have Donkey Kong. Um, so we, we like to collect them. Now, before we go any further, you haven't paid for this episode, right? <laughs> You're not. There is no. There's no advertisement. There's no endorsements. Um, Although, uh, I think you're getting lunch. <laughs> yeah, I'm paying for lunch. <laughs> All right. Um, so what do you guys do? Oh, before we do that. So these are the best margaritas in Colorado. Yeah, I think so. I'm going to do two of the tacos. I'm going to do brisket and the shrimp. Um, just... Oh, well, then I'll get three tacos. Okay. Baja fish. 
No rice and beans. That's just... We'll just do dose on everything. Nice. Yeah, you got it. And we ordered the supposedly the best margaritas in Colorado. Yeah, which true techies will yeah. actually have to try that. Right, right, right. So if this isn't actually the best margarita in Colorado, it's going on Reddit. <laughs> I'm going to hide behind a screen, totally bash it. And then I'm going to go over all the various incarnations of where maybe it was the best margarita, but in this circumstance, it could maybe it's not be. Not the organic salt that I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, no. All right. So what, what does Eplexity do? So we are an AWS uh, solutions provider. Um, AWS is a broad ecosystem. Um, there's a lot of technology uh, in AWS in particular. And so when we say we're an AWS service provider, consulting partner, managed service provider, we really focus on uh, some of the key aspects of uh, enablement uh, for organizations to get to AWS. Um, we call that going to prod. Um, ultimately, it comes down to um, really, really good DevOps uh, from, a, from a functional technical perspective, uh, mutable infrastructure, doing uh, infrastructure at scale for customers, helping them through organizational uh, changes um, and affecting change there, um, helping them through training, um, helping them through migrations. It can be a number of different things, but ultimately it comes down to key DevOps and then how do you operate that once you go to prod. So we have two components, our consulting uh, side of the business and then our, our managed services that operate in 24 by 7 capacity. So you um, said DevOps. Are most of your customers building applications? Well, I would say it's it's a, a good portion of them. Although what we're starting to see as a trend is customers that um, haven't traditionally uh, built applications from the ground up. They have COTS applications, legacy applications. Uh, they're looking at a cloud uh, to uh, move away from the data center um, to uh, improve maybe cost functions, um, to improve reliability, um, to ultimately get out of that component within IT. So we're seeing a lot of businesses um, look at cloud as, as opportunistic um, and opportunities to do that. And uh, so we're helping the companies both that are developing software today and then helping companies that are migrating to AWS. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, and part of the genesis of this podcast and the name of the podcast is Michael Andreessen's famous quote, software's eating the world. That was a long ass time ago he said that, but it's still like one of the most used quotes mm -hmm. out there. Oh yeah. So developers eating the world because developers make software. Um, but every company is a software company because I kind of pegged you guys as working a lot with like traditional business. We do. Um, and you know, every single company that we, we had a customer just recently. Uh, they took a complete new product line uh, and went to market with a complete new business line within three months. So starting a new application project and getting it to production and starting a new revenue stream within three months. So uh, there's been compression from multiple different angles, uh, whether that's the valley um, and, 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 and companies being able to attract capital to go affect change, whether that's in uh, FinTech or, or IoT or hospitality. Every single company is a technology company, and to be able to extract and utilize technology efficiently, you see that through the lens of software oftentimes. So let's start a religious battle. I didn't tell you yet, I'm an Azure guy. 
<laughs> Actually, you should have guessed it, right? I, oh, told, yeah. I told you I was a SharePoint you're, developer. You're so. an MVP. <laughs> yeah. So why would I not be an Azure guy? Yeah, absolutely. Why'd you pick AWS? You know, it was it, uh, at the time it was it was tougher. <laughs> Quite honestly, right? So Eplexity is the is is our company, um, and it and it comes from. Uh, originally saying, hey, look, let's go after the complex solutions and make that easy for customers. Um, and at the time, these were the early days, um, writing infrastructure code um, to automate uh, and like to Chef create- Like Chef and Puppet? Chef, Puppet, uh, Ansible, Salt, um, writing infrastructure, CloudFormation from an AWS perspective, writing infrastructure code because we had infrastructure that was inherently unreliable, uh, right? It wasn't designed like the traditional VMware private clouds where uh, VMware would then uh, design around component failure. Whoa. Thank you. Fast. Nice. Looks fantastic. You guys get the same exact thing now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kept it simple. Uh, that was designed around component failure and they had things like VMware high availability and fault tolerance. When we're looking at the cloud market and we are comparing, you know, do we look at private cloud? Do we look at OpenStack, um, CloudStack, uh, which is a Citrix product that you may or may never have heard of? Um, uh, we're looking at various different uh, platform stacks, um, uh, PaaS, uh, uh, Pivotal, Cloud Foundry, OpenShift was very early. Uh, so the list went on. So how many years ago was that? Five. Six. Five or six? Six yeah. years. Yeah. So, so we, we ended up picking AWS uh, because they had the, the, the best track record around saying, hey, look, we didn't design this for component failure. We allowed you, the developer, the builder, to be able to build highly available infrastructure through code. So it was a little different. Um, and we saw that as a challenge within the op, uh, in the marketplace, and we saw that as a need ultimately. Um, so we go, went and picked that. Um, Azure has come a long way uh, over the years. Um, it's gone through, I think, three different portal changes. Um, it's it's maturing its uh, infrastructure stack. Um, certainly, you know, they're you know Gartner recently. Um, Gartner. Oh, I know. Don't throw a gardener at me. Oh, no, throw the gardener no. at you. <laughs> uh, but Gardner, you know, recently went through this, and, and they analyze, you know, certain things. How many of those analysts have actually used any actually, cloud uh, service? Okay. Maybe one. Maybe two. And they, <laughs> they may have bought their way into it. <laughs> no, I got you. But AWS is is the stack for builders, ultimately. And, and that's where the company roots uh, was and is today. So more natural, uh, more culturally aligned, um, bigger ecosystem of technology, sure. larger problems to solve. So all the public clouds have kind of become this Chinese menu of things that you can, is that politically right? correct, Chinese menu? Sure. <laughs> we'll go with it. Um, what's your favorite, like, I guess you focus on the infrastructure side, but what's your favorite, like, recent service that they have that you just think, wow, you know? Well, you know, I think I'd be saying wow a lot, um, but um, keep in mind, you know, my background has been in technology for the past, um, you know, 20 years. 
Um, the what what Amazon allows folks like me to do is we can verticalize in in one vendor, right? And I'm using quotation marks right now. Uh, the reality is, when I was doing this with VMware, when I was doing this with Cisco, uh, with Dell. Uh, the stack is very narrow, um, it's very vertical, uh, and with AWS, it's so broad. So, you know, 1,300 new features last year alone, keeping up on that is a full-time job. It there's, is wait, there's a, 1,300 No, features. there is uh, 1,300. Last there's year no way. That's how fast it's going. That's how wow. fast it's going. So. Uh, the pace of R&D, uh, the amount of investments that they're making from an R&D perspective, uh, it's, it's, it's like a candy store for engineers that want to keep the latest and greatest and, and, and try the latest and greatest. Now, there, 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 comes, with, there comes responsibility with that, right? Um, AWS will release new features and they prioritize getting features and functionality to market faster than anybody else but with not full feature parity of enterprise grade software. So what they do is they prioritize, let's go to market first, okay? But let's not include all the features that an enterprise may need. So you have to adopt those features uh, carefully. Uh, you have to understand where that roadmap is going. And so again, going back to it, for technologists, it makes it a very curious uh, industry that we're in it, it makes it very compelling to focus on, on one thing. One thing, again, quotation marks. Wow, that's more, I, I didn't realize there were that many services. So, right before I went up to your office, I was on a phone call with a Kubernetes management platform provider. So a vendor in, in that space, you know, they have a whole interface on top of Kubernetes. Um, the big, <laughs> the big conversation I have with them, which has kind of been 2019, has been the year of uh, serverless and multi-cloud. It is multi-cloud. What are your thoughts on multi-cloud? Yeah, I think it's, um, it, it's, it's a topic that's on the minds of every CIO. Why do they put a mountain of lettuce on my shit? I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to that. make it halfway <laughs> healthy. Oh, I see. <laughs> You know, look, it's, it's something that every CIO is thinking about. Some for the good reasons, uh, the right reasons. Um, some for, you know, a lack of information that's currently uh, in the marketplace, right? Um, we are fed products um, in this industry, right? There's a lot of market texture. We are, um, we are. There. Vendors, um, we are fed. We are, we Sometimes are fed. like shoved down your throat. No, it's fed product. I, I need this shiny new widget. You know, if, if DevOps was easy, you know, someone would actually have established some sort of framework that you could just consume and go and make it easy. But we're not there yet. Um, and and multi-cloud is yet another one of those. Okay, multi-cloud is um, if if you can imagine for a moment you've never ridden a horse before. Okay, uh, and then you said, hey, look, before we ride a horse, we're going to ride two horses at the same time, and I'm going to straddle them both. Right, um, so there's some gymnastics there uh, that uh, most most folks don't know how to straddle. <laughs> um, now, keep with that in mind. It is extremely important um, in terms of uh, where data is, data so, locality. 
People think Bezos is going to go psycho one day. I think he's already gone. I like AWS, by the way. <laughs> oh, have you seen the license South Park? That's fun. <laughs> Very fun. Anyways, um, I think the lock-in lock -in is the biggest reason people talk about it. You don't want to be tied to one horse. <laughs> you don't. You know, it certainly sounds nice, right? Um, but let, let's put it this way. Um, we don't. We we shouldn't build data centers anymore. Um, businesses. It shouldn't, is irresponsible to irresponsible. build a center. Yeah, Absolutely, I agree with that. Right? I agree with that. It's, it's irresponsible. Okay. Um, ITIL had uh, this concept of underpinning contracts. You know, this is ten years ago. Underpinning contracts from a uh, source from multiple vendors. We never did that. <laughs> we we were the IT service provider for the organizations. We had a we had a contract with co-location provider. We had a contract with maybe one or two VARs. We're procuring gear. Okay, that's we, a really good point. That if you had a physical data center, that's lock-in. You're locked in. Like you're physically locked in. Lock in. Guess what? You know, and the CEO comes to you and say, "We're opening up a a, a new product in Beijing, uh, and we need to take everything that we've done here and duplicate it because uh, data sovereignty requires us to operate that within that location. Um, can you get that done? And the contract." is due within three months, okay? I, I've, I've dealt with that problem in the past three years, several times, huh. right? Now, if I had to do that 10 years ago with building data centers, we would have laughed. We would have laughed and said, hey, look, this is not, I can't, I can't hire enough people. I can't spend enough money with vendors to solve that problem. It's physically impossible. Today, that's not the case. We're launching new business lines in three months. We're generating revenue on new products uh, that didn't exist uh, in, in that same period of time. So th that game has changed. Going back to lock-in though for a moment, the, uh, the, the whole concept of lock-in, um, if it can be avoided, is not necessarily a bad idea, right? You just have to think through um, contracting with AWS and how you manage your data. Um, and how you design your infrastructure. If you have really good principles around architecture, you're gonna do yourself a favor to be able to run that in multiple different clouds. And what is that? Is that, you know, Kubernetes, I mean, it's obvious things. Kubernetes. Absolutely, so containerization is a, is a great platform um, to help organizations uh, run uh, those workloads in multiple different clouds, including on-prem. You know, and, and some applications aren't met to move to cloud just yet. So there's a modernization aspect of this that has to be dealt with. And if you deal with that and move that into containerization, for example, whether that's through Kubernetes, um, whether that's through another um, containerization platform, ultimately you're building into a, a next generation virtualization engine that allows you to straddle multiple different infrastructure platform and types. So that's one piece of really a kind of five pillars that you have to think about as an organization to abstract your, your security policies, uh, your operational efficiency policies, and your, uh, your run state policies, and be able to define that as code. Um, there's a few others that are important, but you have to start defining how this architecture is um, at the artifact level um, and containerization is only one piece of the puzzle. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's a very valid point to say that lock-in is as much your responsibility as your, your cloud provider's responsibility. I, the, the one I love, um, the one I absolutely love, um, is I'm going to buy a, a CMP, a cloud management platform, and implement there so that I'm not locked in. But you're locked into the cloud management platform. Right. So, uh, so then you got to ask, okay, well, what is their, what is their strength around R and D to keep up with the feature parity of the underlying cloud providers? Right? Have you asked that question? Have you gone through that? Are they putting enough dollars into their R and D um, that 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 is equal or or close to that of multiple cloud vendors? It's a huge problem. Um, and what happens is they become the lowest common denominator. And so what you're missing out on is all this innovation that's going on in the, in the hyperscalers, in the public cloud market. And, and you're, dealt, you're dealing with now the lowest common denominator aspects of being able to build into a CMP and only the services that they support. So can you even use containers, right? They may only support uh, full-blown instances like EC2. So now that then, that translates into your design uh, architecturally that you have to then adopt where they're at as a company. It's not a good position to be oftentimes once you start peeling back those covers. So um, one of the things related to, again, like the multi-cloud, I've always kind of been curious of, because I've never implemented it myself, because I've never done anything at that scale, is multi-region. Specifically, multi-region in multi or microservices-based applications. Like, how how common is it to have like the same application, same version of the same application, running in multiple regions at the same time, in such that your your deployment strategy is like one to many? Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Well, uh, microservices, uh, you know, principally uh, was. Uh, is des designed around this concept that if you decouple all dependencies so that you can update or fail an individual component, um, it doesn't lead to catastrophe, right? So that's the whole theory and uh, movement around microservices architectures. So when we, when, we, when we have microservices running in multiple regions, uh, which is uh, multiple geographies uh, uh, from a cloud perspective. Is region not the proper term? Geography the proper uh, Well, it's, no, it's absolutely the proper term, yeah. Um, for, for those that don't know regions, it is in two different uh, geographies, right? So East Coast, West Coast, right. um, uh, China, you know, Asia-Pac, those, those type of uh, areas. Um, but from a microservices perspective, if, if I have, I can be running an application uh, within uh, US West One, for example, um, and then uh, have, uh, based on DNS hygiene routing, you know, and connecting users to the closest region based on where they're at from a proximity perspective, run those services within my microservices architecture within another region. If I were to lose a region, uh, my application still uh, doesn't get impacted because I'm doing things like health checking and, and GSLB load balancing um, and, and moving that traffic now over into the next region. Updating that, 
microservices architecture, maintaining that, right? These are now becoming more automated, right? And these are practices that a DevOps organization would then, then run. And by the way, DevOps is not necessarily a, you know, something that you throw on the resume. Um, it, it is something that is, it really comes down from the technology you're leveraging, the, the, the culture that you're creating, um, right? Uh, the, the methodologies that you impose, your ethos. Um, in other words, it's, it's a lot more than saying, hey, I can, I can write infrastructure right. code. Yeah, I always, I would say there's two DevOps. There's DevOps, the principles, and then DevOps, the practice. And DevOps practice is people setting up Jenkins. DevOps, the principles is, like you said, it's a company-wide thing. Because if it isn't, it's, no. it's not going to be successful. No, no, you're not going to be able to deploy at the rate of launching new business lines in three months. Uh, if your whole organization's not moving in the same direction, right? So, um, but you can certainly have a 10x engineer on your or <laughs> on, on on your bench, um, which was the kind of the funny social media viral issue this past couple of weeks about 10x engineering. Did you hear about this? No. Oh my people, goodness! Uh, people have stopped hiring. 10x engineers. They're okay, such I, a pain in the ass. Well, well, someone in particular was saying uh, in the VC community that if you hire 10x engineers, uh, you will have more success in your startup. And and they he provided Holy a shit. listing of <laughs> 10 qualities that make up 10x engineering. Um, it went viral, as you can imagine, uh, and uh, it was hilarious. Uh, it was hilarious. So definitely uh, search 10x engineering. You'll, you'll have fun. Oh God! I don't. I mean, I <clears throat> I knew a 10xer. He was actually one of our top. Is one of our top contributors today. Still a very talented developer, but it, it you know really really good. But he's he's opened up his barriers and it changed the world for him. He suddenly like is happy in his job happy in his role, not pissed off at everybody all the time because they're not doing exactly you know, what he thinks should be done. And, it, and that evolution has actually been really interesting. So part of it was his age, but also like you can't just have, you can't just have all your talent in one silo. Actually, that's a ridiculous statement for any VC to make because what happens if that person leaves? Yeah, is it, Their money goes with it? Isn't that lock-in? Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> We're back to lock-in, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Different type of lock-in. Yeah, yeah lock-in with your talent. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you had uh, then um, good documentation practices, which is a complete joke uh, for, for most of us, right? Um, you know, and th this is the beauty of infrastructure code, right? No one likes to write a Visio or Lucid chart. I'm dating myself because I said Visio. Um, Made but, me happy but I'm for a dot netter. Dot netter. We like that. You um, said Vigio. Vigio. Well, you didn't say access, which is. Uh, but but one of the beauties, right, of describing your architecture uh, through the lens of, of code uh, is that it is now documented. Inherently. Right? Inherently. Yeah. Right? Your scripts are documentation. Whether your code is uh, great or not, um, it's at least written down. Right, we know what's. You can take that uh, that next person. If that person were to walk away, uh, you can now have that that uh, replacement read that, 
um, and understand at least what's going on uh, from a mechanics perspective. Um, there's other benefits, of course, you know, version controlling, you know, the ability to restore the entire infrastructure right. in another region. Um, but documentation, principally, is kind of, you know, that low-hanging fruit, it's highly valuable. So what are you looking forward to next in the AWS Ooh. world? Do you have, are you privy to, to fancy things? Actually, I don't want to say that because there's I'll some get things murdered. that we're working on and we can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but, I, forbade, I forbade certain things, but yes. Yeah, but what about uh, in AWS? But well, maybe so. Even outside of AWS, but AWS is heading this direction too. Keep that in mind. Um, one of the things that I think is fascinating right now is uh, we we have gone from uh, centralized computing uh, to decentralized computing back to centralized computing, right? Um, and we went back to centralized computing. This is really the cloud era, yeah. right? Not weird. It, it's weird, right? It, but that was because everybody's got a mobile phone uh, that has a computer that can you know, go in and, and do everything that they fr have from the mobile handset. And it's created a you know, compression within traditional way of building infrastructure. Um, and you need a better scalable platforms. Well, you don't get that type of economies of scale unless you centralize that. So that's kind of the era that we're in. But the next era that we're going into is more this decentralized uh, computing model. Um, actually, we're going to go back to that. And, and that what's driven by that is actually IoT, right? Connected cars, platforms that need to actually How take How is that data. decentralized though? Isn't that... Well, you, you will see... I mean, all the telemetry is still coming into the same... Uh, there will be uh, computing that Or you think it's more peer-to-peer? -peer? Kind of, kind of. Huh. So, so you have... Uh, what, what will happen is carrier networks will start building cloud pods on a cell tower. Oh. That's one area that, that you'll start seeing. Actually, there's... Um, I don't know if you've seen this. There's a new hotspot that you can buy where you set it up in your house or wherever and you earn a cryptocurrency by running it. And it's primarily targeted around IoT. The thing that's ridiculous about it, it costs 500 bucks. It is brilliant, but why, why, why are you charging 500 bucks to the person who, like maybe you pay a little bit for the HubSpot, fine. You gotta, you gotta pay Hotspot. that GPU fee. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, that's, it's, it's so I, I see, you know, um, AWS as kind of the, you know, creating a new standard on how we create infrastructure, okay? So it's forcing us yeah. to become developers. It's forcing infrastructure folks like myself to understand uh, at least the basics of development and be able to describe what we need to do architecturally within code. That's gonna be really important in the next 10, 15 years as we look at edge computing because that right, centralized so to decentralized. I never thought about edge computing from from a decentralized. All I all I ever thought about edge computing from is bringing the compute closer to the user. That's Absolutely, it. right? And I guess I guess, is that okay? So uh, every single idea. car uh, will have instrumentation just like we have in clouds uh, today. Uh, they'll probably run containerization platforms within them so that they can do the localized computing to understand, you know, should I hit a tree um, or should or I? Or the person. <laughs> or the person, right? <laughs> well, what is the person's personality? 
Yeah, I just bought a brand new Palisade. First, first experience, it, drive, it, it has the self-driving stuff, um, believe it or not. I mean, it's not like Tesla level kind of yeah. stuff, probably yeah. not as far. And um, yeah, my first thought when I got the damn thing was like, how we update the software in this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and what's, sure. the, what's the quality gates, right? What's the quality gates? Because you have quality gates that are now you know, being looked at heavily right now since the Boeing issue. <laughs> um, and, and, and now they want to understand what goes into um, the software development quality gates and how are we automating against um, uh, identifying bugs, triaging those bugs, um, whether there be security or defects. So, you know, going back, you know, futures 10, 15 years, edge computing, that's exciting. I think that starts today with, with really good automation. And I think AWS really gave us a platform to start there. But in the next few years, what I'm excited about with AWS in particular is the, the whole concept around um, as, as, you de as you develop these patterns, um, and, and what I mean by patterns is in, uh, prescribed infrastructure code. Um, and you do this at scale. Uh, design right patterns? Are they design patterns? They can be. <laughs> so design patterns would be a collection of, of elements, in okay. other words. An element would describe your security DevSecOps practice for your code pipeline. Uh, that would be one element. Um, but as you develop that, and we've developed over a million lines of, uh, of infrastructure code that's in production, right? Uh, and so we've had scaling issues uh, you know, to do that level of automation and that sheer volume. And what becomes really interesting though, you have to look at that problem differently. And so you start looking at machine learning to look at you know, ah, pattern God intelligence. damn it, you said the oh, word. Yeah, it's gonna be a buzzword, right? <laughs> but there is, there is ways to say, you know what? Um, well, let me put it this way. Uh, let me back up. Today, we can understand the cost of our cloud at a very, simplistic level. Uh, we say, um, okay, I'm gonna run this, I'm gonna use .NET, right? Uh, .NET, it's gonna run on IS. got two IS servers, I'm gonna have my SQL server, and then I'm gonna leverage um, you know, a, a cloud monitoring platform that looks at my bill, okay? And, and this, this platform is gonna look at the CPU metrics, the memory metrics, my network throughput, and make recommendations on, hey, you know what, you're, you're buying too much uh, within this cloud. You know, that's useful today. Certainly, it's, I don't discredit that. Um, but wouldn't it be more useful if that platform understood the, the characteristics of the entire architecture and said, hey, look, you're running SQL, you're running uh, IAS, um, and here's a better architecture for doing that. And by the way, does architecture, I mean, I guess I never really thought about this because I haven't been in, but architecture impacts, like if you run something serverless versus, big, big yeah. Yeah, okay. right, so you're, you're running this type of architecture. And you know what, actually, these folks over here that have run similar architectures are doing it within containers and are saving uh, a lot more. Right? So a lot more than just memory and CPU and network throughput metrics, uh, but now understanding what you're trying to accomplish, and machine learning algorithms are getting better, 
um, to, to be able to train those models. And I think that becomes now the foundation of saying, well, what happens if I want to run that on different cloud providers, right? If, if you have an inherent understanding of that architecture um, at that level, that deep understanding, because memory, CPU, that's the easy stuff, right? right? Have those all connect together and inter intertwine to actually support that critical workload, that's a whole other level. But you can train those models with machine learning. And then you can maybe, maybe truly arbitrage across multiple clouds. Maybe you get to that multi-cloud nirvana that everybody talks about, I don't know. All we're ever talking about is Nirvana, and nobody's hit it yet. No, no one's hit it. No, no. no. I mean, the machines a, will just take over. Yeah, AI then. machine learning has been coming up in different incarnations, and now AI ops is a big thing. Um, but no, okay, I buy it. You've, you've, you've not altered my position, but you've definitely challenged my position and changed my opinion a little bit on on a few things. Multi-cloud now costing. That's interesting. What was the other one? Edge computing. Edge computing. That's right. And Decentralized. Margaritas. Well, it's, I don't. I wouldn't call it the best margarita <laughs> in Colorado, but it's a good margarita. Uh, this is be my third Mexican restaurant. Anyways, JC, thanks for your time. Absolutely. This was awesome. Yeah. All right.